We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 458 of course on a podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jim Hilton, and today we're going to do something a little different here. With the summer fast approaching and some of my other projects heating up, you might have noticed that some content of late has either come out late or not at all. So today is a bit of an experiment. Since I had that nice long conversation with Kevin Williams earlier in the week, the second show this week is going to be just me answering listener questions. So that also means that any positive feedback is encouraged, and if this show gets a similar reception to other shows, this may be the plan for the summer to continue doing two shows in a week. If people hate the idea, then I may have to consider dropping down to one show for a little bit, but we'll have to see about that. So without further ado, let's get into those listener questions, which I found to be a bit all over the place, which is really great because it's going to allow me to talk about a bunch of different topics. And I also want to mention too, an apology at the beginning, my eyes are a bit swollen with all the pollen and the allergies. So I almost have to squint to see the page. So if you are watching this on video, well, I think this is one of those actual times where the audio might be better because it's going to be cleaner, it's going to be cut down, and you're going to have all the random rambling that is going to be done here on the full video instead of the audio. So anyway, let's get right into it here for either audio or video from Boston. What happened to Ilias, that's Ilias Shakomash, and why aren't we fighting more to keep him? And Boston, I would say that he actually, not say he doesn't deserve to be kept, but his progression hasn't gone on the way that I think Kool-Aid's would have even expected, myself included. So just two goals this season in 27 appearances between Barca Athletic and the UEFA Youth League. And he's only started 41% of the time for Rafa Marquez. And while he just turned 19 this week, that finishing product just hasn't come along in the last three seasons the way you'd expected it to. I mean, even me, I, he had some goals at the U16, the cadet odd level, where I said, okay, this kid has something. And once he gets a little bit more finishing touch, he had something. He used to score a few Galazos. And even in the game that Xavi saw, in Xavi's first time as manager of FC Barcelona, the first team, he watched that Barca athletic match with Ilasha Komach, who at the time Barca B. He winds up getting a brace, that being Ilias, the only one he's had for Barca athletic or Barca B. And then he gets called up to the first team for the next game, where Xavi was kind of saying, hey, I will trust the academy. And he also comes with an example of that. So I, I think his call to the first team, even by Xavi, was a bit premature. And Xavi kind of seeing him, seeing what he liked, because what he does do well, he does at a very high level. He isn't really a pacey winger who's going to beat anybody with his speed, but his left foot on the right is really tricky, cutting into his left side to shoot. He also can pass pretty well, too, with those through balls and stuff on his left. So 
in the right system and with enough patience, it may work out for him somewhere else. And it does seem like a 90% chance that he is off to Leeds already, which could be a good spot for him, or maybe not, who knows. But he'll play with the U21s likely, and that may give him, again, the time that he wouldn't get if he re-signed for Barcelona. We'd expect that his agent and all them, you know, it seems counterintuitive that he's going to be less patient at the place that he's been at for a while now, but that does seem to be the case no matter what, where the team that you re-signed with coming from their academy, other clubs might throw more first-team opportunities or try to promise him those next season, and Barca may not want to do that. So another club like Leeds United may be able to offer him a larger number up front, actually, even financially, that gives them time to give him a chance for their academy team, where Barca, if they don't expect him in the first team next season, they're going to likely give him numbers. Even if they extend him, they would offer a contract to like 2026 or whatever. Those are going to be wages fitting of an academy player, where Leeds United might, again, front load that deal, but put him in the academy anyway. And that does give him more time to kind of catch up, if you will. And then they can also send him out on loan as long as his contract goes to give him a chance to start affecting the final third better. Which again, is why Barcelona, I think, shouldn't think twice about not renewing Ilasha Comas because for as good as he is dribbling with that left foot and being able to unbalance the, the other team, he is, even at the third division, not showing you enough at that level where he is could be elite at that, but he isn't necessarily even elite in the third division of Spanish football. But again, at just 19, he turned 19 this week. There are pieces that Leeds United certainly should be excited about if he can put something together. So I do wish him the best and all that. But yeah, I, I expect Ilasha Comas is gone. Next question, Chris, if Messi comes, how many good years could we get from him in any chance he plays with Barca up to the 2026 World Cup? Uh, this is funny, Chris, because I kind of already answered this and we did have this kind of full conversation with both Levon and Domagoy on the shows last week. So definitely worth going back and listening to those conversations. But to me, I'll reiterate again, the timing is one year at Barca. It makes sense, I think, uh, all the sense in the world from Messi's perspective to sign a two-year deal for Barca with quotes, uh, I put air quotes around this, around that second year. So you have your swan song around Spain next season, then you move to Inter-Miami of MLS in the summer of 2024. So next summer, he moves to MLS. And do that new Apple deal and Apple wanting to create a lot more content for that league, for MLS, it would marketing-wise mean that Messi, obviously, he would this, he would do this for every league, but again, because I think of the English-speaking reach, not of Messi, but of what Apple would try to distribute with him as the focal point of that league heading into the 2026 World Cup, I think that could be very, very lucrative for Lionel Messi to have that all kind of working in tandem together. And if you say that Argentina doesn't call up MLS players, well, their youngest World Cup winner from this last World Cup was Diego Amada, and he's been lighting up for Atlanta United since the season started before he makes a huge move over to Europe. So you know, also, if Messi wants to play for Argentina, Messi plays for Argentina, obviously. <laughs> he could play till 42 if he decides, but obviously they might ask him to maybe step aside before then. But again, who knows? I think that's up to Messi after he won them the World Cup and his World Cup and all that stuff in Qatar a few months ago. So yeah, I would say one year at Barcelona makes sense, I think, for all parties involved. I mean, again, I've talked about the fears I have about him on the field, but I, I'm just talking about contract-wise, about from a Messi perspective, not from an FC Barcelona perspective, which again, I got into with Levon and Domagoy because there are reasonable and considerable fears. So don't give in to Messi FC here. I think Messi returning to the club, it certainly unbalances quite a lot. And I think the big question is, Messi, you know he still has magic in those boots. Is he the star to help take them over the line in big matches? I think there are certainly questions about that based on the efficacy of even the way that PSG had to be set up for him. And if Barca have Alba and Busquets and others in tow, can Barcelona set up 
in a way that actually does support Messi. You know, again, it seems counterintuitive that his friends are the ones who are going to stick around if he shows up. Or it should be the opposite, where his friends actually step aside <laughs> if Messi shows up, and he should be, we'll say, the one and only oldie, with the, I guess, with the exception of Lewandowski. Again, that, that brings up other problems, too. So, all right, the Messi thing, we already did. So moving to a question from Manor. Lack of goals causing us to tie or draw games. How much can we squeeze out of Lewandowski? Short answer, Minor here is Pedri coming back and hopefully Dembele in, in the next few weeks coming back. I think that's the only way through the remainder of this season that you squeeze much out of anything from Lewandowski. And I think with the back injury, it is important to note that with that injury, not to say the rest of his season is kind of a wash, but I don't think he's going to be operating on all cylinders. And then that rest he gets over the offseason I would actually, I think, be optimistically hoping that Lewandowski does heal from this back injury that uh, reportedly he picked up and has been carrying since the World Cup when he hasn't looked himself, which is totally fair that he's not looked himself with that back injury, where for Barcelona, it's paramount that he starts and plays almost 90 minutes every time because Barca do not have a backup for him even. So if Barca are able to bring in any kind of living, breathing backup for Lewandowski at the nine, as well as having him get a full summer of rest and have that back treated, again, optimistically, the positive side says... That's how you squeeze the rest out of him, uh, the most out of him for the render of this season is Pedri and Dembele and a hope and a prayer. But next season, that things do return a bit more to his normal. So again, that's like last half full of that. Here's David asking, it's rumored that Lamine Yamal may be given his debut before the end of the season. Would you view this to be premature or justified reward? Can a 15-year-old truly be ready for the Barca first team? He did have a disciplinary issue that had him suspended for four games with Juvenal A that he picked up on Spanish international duty. But what I've heard is that it had nothing to do or it was nowhere near as bad as with Phil Foden and some of the English players from a few years ago. Yeah, don't Google that. But they kept it under wraps because I really do think it, it was something related to either curfew or, or something. Again, that uh, for a 15-year-old, the punishment is, if anything, going to be a bit more because you do want to teach that lesson before he does get up to a bigger level where whatever it was, whatever way he misstepped, that that is going to be A, much, much, much more public because, again, for a 15-year-old, some of that stuff is, is pretty discreet. So before he gets to an age where all of it gets blown up or something like that and, and he winds up stepping out of line in a way that's going to get him in a lot more trouble, you know, not to downplay whatever it was, you know, in case something does come out. But, yeah, I, I just would say that, you know, I'm, I'm not too concerned about that suspension. I'll start there. But that said, part two of that is he is still just 15, as I reiterate. And I think the idea of him having his debut before the end of the season is a lot to sell papers and to get some clicks. He is on the radar for the first team, trained with them even today, because I think they want him to sign that professional deal. Well, not I think. <laughs> they obviously want him to sign the professional deal when he turns 16 in July. So I could see him getting a call-up to that usual local first preseason match, like we saw against Olat last year when he turned 16. Again, he would have basically he'll just be 16 as that match happens. So I don't think we see him for the rest of the Liga, especially with the other U19 players like Alarcon on the forward pecking order first and already making the bench. Even up 11 points, Xavi is way too nervous in the Liga to give Ferran Torres and Ansu Fati too many minutes. So I think any comfortable thing that Barca has throughout the remainder of the season near the end of the year, which again, I don't expect too much of that with the way that they're in form right now. Again, hopefully Pedri and Dembele and Kristen and Dan are that boost. But I think for the rest of the season, even if Torres and Ansu are leaving, I think they still get that time to even potentially boost their market value. And if Dembele is coming back, I think he still plays on the left as well. And then you try to get Rafinha some run out on the right and try to get him right heading into the offseason, whether he's being kept or not. So even then, if it's not those three, or should I say four, then it's Alarcon first, then Astana's Pedrola after that. Because Astana's Pedrola can't play on the left. He usually does play on the left. 
and I, I speaking of the Yamal as well, I'm going to be doing a deep dive on him in a few weeks. So be patient on that. But, you know, he does at the moment still look like a 15 year old, like in a way that while Gabi has never had the, the most height, the Gabi he is now does look very, very physically similar to the one even two years ago. And Yamal does look truly like a 15 year old, but he's got a lot of good things and really high potential. So still a play I'm very excited about even if you don't see him for the first team for the remainder of this season. Again, at 15, it's just, you know, it's, it's a wild number. Not that 16 in a few weeks matters, but there is something about that professional contract that does give you a bit more confidence and even putting him on the bench. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Next question coming from Poncho. Do you think a good change would be for Xavi to get a more experienced assistant coach? Everyone had questions about Xavi's ability to coach at the top level. Having someone like an Henri who has coached some big clubs and a big ter- and in big tournaments, all leading in him being sacked in different ways, but as a number two, might be a good mix-up for next season. And as people know, I love, love, love Terry Henry. If people know my Mount Rushmore of players that I, I love to watch, it's messy. It's Xavi, it's Iniesta. Well, I'd say it's Messi, it's Iniesta, it's Xavi, and it's Terry Henry. That's my four, my Mount Rushmore, you know, using the American term of the players that if they're playing, if they're in games, especially suited up for FC Barcelona, I want to watch those players. But I did watch him, unfortunately, too, manage at CF Montreal here in the MLS. And, and I think he is much better as a pundit. Obviously, I think that, that CBS show, of course, you know, the, the, the sky's a limit for that. Just tremendous, tremendous stuff there. So I think he's actually better as a pundit than he is a manager. And I think the same probably goes for him being an assistant manager, which I don't think he'd ever go for anymore. I think if he's leaving that, that set and that, that punditry role that he has now, I think it's to be a head coach or nothing else. And I think for Xavi, you know, maybe Rafa Marquez gets the bump up. And then you replace a Barca athletic coach. I think that's a much, much easier task and much ask, um, even financially for Barca to bring in, you know, assistant managers with, with some kind of name cachet. So I could see that, but also it doesn't really solve that problem that you're mentioning because Rafa Marquez doesn't really have much experience either, other than this one year with Barca athletic and believe being an assistant with his hometown club of Atlas where he retired. So if there was a guy like an Alfred Schorner for Kuman out there for Xavi, 
You know, I think he probably would have brought him in from the jump. And I think the club would have recommended that from the jump. I mean, you could also see a reshuffling of does Jordy Cruyff go from a sporting director to an assistant manager if he wanted to be or something like that. But yeah, I just, I don't think it's going to happen if it already hasn't happened in the year and a half that Xavi's been in charge. So while it would make sense, I think this is one of those Xavi's going to have to learn as a first team manager kind of on the fly on his own with his team. Next one from Drew with Araujo and Kunde playing right back for the big games. Is there a need to go out and spend big dollars on a right back? Roberto is fine during most of the Liga games. And over the summer, you have Dest and Joan Araujo fighting to be essentially the third right back option. You know, acknowledging my American bias, not my American bias, but Drew's <laughs> of wanting Dest to succeed. But he did seem to play well with Messi in front of him when he first arrived, thinking back to his first El Clasico. Which at this point, Drew, though, his first El Clasico, I think Sergino Dest, people know that I was excited for him too. I thought he looked great at Ajax. I, I think, as I've said many, many times with Dest, that the fullback market for young fullbacks is very, very thin. That seems to be an impossible position to find a young, good player if you do not bring him up yourself. Barcelona is insanely, insanely fortunate that Balde did become good on the potential that he had because the left-back options under the age of 23, I mean, how do you possibly get one of those players? I mean, even if they were available, there's no way that other clubs are willing to part with those players, especially if they're still on youth contract deals. And so for Dest to come from Ajax, you know, I was excited about that. And I thought that if he did improve, and I think he had potential to improve, but his positional play, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked defensively for Barca. It hasn't worked well for AC Milan. He put in some good shifts for the U.S. national team, but very much like, you know, sample size wise that, as I've said about other teams, the Champions League or knockout competition might not be the best way to evaluate, you know, individual players. But I also think that the international stuff isn't necessarily the best. I think even more so. And that's why for Amrabat right now of Fiorentina, you know, you see how he is for his, his, his domestic campaign. And there are bright signs, but there's also inconsistency wrought throughout his season with Fiorentina. That does make me concerned. If, if you were getting the, the Morocco Amrabat, you sign up for that every single day of the week because he was f- fantastic at the World Cup. He was the best defensive midfielder in that competition. And he helped carry Morocco all the way to semifinal. But again, if you're just judging on international stuff, then you don't get the full picture. And Des, the last two seasons of club football have been arguably a complete nightmare for him. So I would actually take him out of your mind. And I think the club is going to sell him for eight to 12 million. And that's it. I, I think there will be takers because of that young football mar- fullback market being as, as dry as it is. And for Julian Araujo, yeah, I, I wouldn't put much faith in him either, unfortunately. I like the player, but he, especially as I mentioned when I previewed him when he signed, that he had a ways to go of learning for his positional sense, not even defensively, but attacking-wise for a team that has 60% of possession. I think he is fantastic counterattacking. His team, I think when he had his best, that being Julian Araujo, his team was playing a 3-5-2, which, you know, is kind of similar to that 3-2-5 that Barcelona does play in build-up, but his final ball is nowhere near good enough to play in a 3-2-5 and be trusted as a this marauding right-back going forward or even stepping in to be that third center-back. I don't really think he's good enough in the air and he can't really be trusted in that position. It just, it was never comfortable when he had to be this inverted pivot or even as that in, inverted, if you will, the right back slash right center back in a three, two, five in buildup, even if you're defending in a four, three, three, which is what Barca does. So Araujo, I certainly have that being Jun Araujo, not Ron Araujo. I certainly have questions about Jun Araujo as well, being trusted at anything. And again, I have said my piece about Ana Martinez uh, enough. And I think, yeah, the club is going to go forward with Kunde. And they're going to go forward with Roberto as a backup next season. 
for as, as smart as that might be, they're willing to save money elsewhere. And, and as much as I feel like, and many others feel like it's right back, it's the pivot and it's left wing. Those are the positions you have to prioritize. It seems like the club are going to bring in Inigo Martinez and say, well, we're not going to actually consider right back as a place to prioritize. We're going to move them over. And if they renew Busquets, <laughs> yeah, maybe they just go for Amabot and say, all right, we're covered there. And then who else are they going to bring in? I mean, you can tell with the forwards, I think that's where a lot of the movement is going to come. And those are going to be big numbers where you don't have much margin for error. You know, so I don't know. Next question, Rick, any response to Real Madrid's claim that Franco supported FC Barcelona or is it too ridiculous a claim to even look at? Yes, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. What I will say, you know, again, I am not a complete expert. I've never lived in Spain, but I have done my homework. People know I, other than journalism, one of my main hobbies and passions, I also have a degree in history. So these are things that interest me. And it's it's what I do for fun in my free time, reading about the horrible, uh, the horrible Thing that is history, I think, because history is generally horrible and terrible and full of disease and war and, and all those things and, you know, inventions and good things too. But anyway, so yeah, Rick, I, you know, early in the week, Kevin Williams and I really talked about this quite a bit, but, you know, even reflecting on the war of, of words that happened on social media everywhere after that video came out, it's really frustrating because I do think that Real Madrid, of course, in particular, is trying to capitalize on that tribal identity with the very guarantee that all nuance will be lost because that's what social media does. Even when these algorithms were completely broken the way they are now, I think social media did not help with nuance whatsoever at all. But what is certainly true, completely true, is that Franco didn't really care too much about sports at all. Some of his, his cabinet members did, and some of the people in his inner circle did care about football. And so, you know, there are things that do play into the way that, and this isn't just now. I mean, it's again, why people say, why do I criticize Man City and PSG so much? Well, again, it's to, to the modern day concept of sports washing is a bit different. But I, I think back then, we'll say, you know, 50, 60 years ago, sports washing, if you will, was much more blatant because it wasn't just in the public opinion. It was that you could actually, you know, especially in what was Franco's dictatorship, he put people he trusted in charge of some of these sporting institutions to control, completely control the message and use them as propaganda for a unified Spain. So you want to think about that way, that Franco, not to say that he didn't care too much about the, the inward perception of the way that Spaniards viewed their institutions or clubs and things, but he much more cared about how the rest of the world and the rest of Europe in particular was viewing this strong, unified Spain. I mean, that is just, that is fascism. That is dictatorships 101. But Barca, certainly. And before Franco as well, the dictatorship before him, Franco, again, basically just took over in an oppression of Basque and Catalan identity. So Gamper's exile in 1925, after the incident at, at Le Court, I mean, heartbreaking, that, that led to you know his, his demise years later. Sunyol's assassination in 1935, of course, again, then Franco then puts one of his own in charge. And I mean, and that again is part of what Real Madrid is arguing that Franco had an inside man as the president of FC Barcelona throughout the Spanish Civil War. Uh, you know, and that, that's part of their argument, but absolutely not. Uh, and then, I mean, again, that is true, but FC Barcelona is an institution and their identity has always been, you know, opposed to that and, and pro Catalan and those things. Now, again, we're getting into Spanish politics. And then also the 1943 Copa del Generalismo tie. Again, that's a story for a different time as well. But, you know, all of that oppression, all those things are real and true. But Real Madrid, looking back at their own history as well, again, the reason why they're associated with Franco, if you will, is because when they were winning European Cups, and that was all about timing, they won La Liga the season that the, the European Cup began. And so they became the representative. They won the first one. And then that meant that there was, we'll say, income or there was from the Spanish government, there was some belief that they could be used as this outlet 
to change the perception of a unified Spain in Europe. So that's why Real Madrid did kind of become Franco's team, not necessarily the team of the Franco regime, but the team of Spain, as in Spain is exporting their identity to the rest of the world. And Real Madrid became the, the confluent of that. If it was Atletico Madrid, because again, they used to be the state of the, the, the club of the government. They were closely tied to the aviation force. Uh, that's how they were founded. So if it was Atletico Madrid in that space, having won the Liga that season, it would have been them. If it was Real Betis, it would have been them. <laughs> Athletic club in Barca. Uh, interesting how that would have played out, certainly. But yes, Real Madrid, going back to the Spanish Civil War as well. I mean, their identity began as, as being a Republican city along with Barcelona. And Real Madrid fell in the same way that, that Barcelona fell. And I would remind you too, now I'm plugging everything. The piece I did about Polino Alcantara, his role with the Black Arrows during the Spanish Civil War and beyond, living out the rest of his days, being, we'll say, politically misaligned with the club that he became the first superstar at. Which again, it, it just it's where nuance gets completely lost. And again, that's me speaking from my house in New York, <laughs> right? Trying to learn all these lessons, not being an historian, those who've learned Basque and Catalan and Spanish and Madrid history. So it's really, really complicated. And I think to, to wrap this up, Rick, the political conflict between the two has been paramount to their existence for many, many years from the dictatorship and beyond, right? To Cruyff and beyond. And that political conflict that made it what it is, that made it the sports spectacle that it is, you know, again, that's, that's I think, a good thing for viewers, yes, but it's the underbelly of that is all negative. There's very few positive there. And I think in 2023, I tweeted this yesterday, those two clubs have more in common. It's what I did. I, I was duped into going on a Real Madrid podcast a few months ago. I did not know that they were, <laughs> that. well, I knew it was a sporting or a football podcast. I tried to check it out. I knew it was, I knew it was Real Madrid-based, but I did not know that it was basically an ambush. I was not too happy with those two who interviewed me that day. But basically, because my message was, they, they were just want to talk about how awful Barca is. But my message was, you need to look in the mirror because Real Madrid and Barcelona, they're, they have so much in common that they have ever had in their, their history. That's why those two are aligned almost more than any other, or they at least were, about the Spanish Super League. And it is not helpful to Spanish football and the Liga and the club that we enjoy for Barca and Real Madrid and La Liga to all be in conflict and Tebas or whatever, all be in conflict all the time. It does nothing for anybody in that situation. And I think it's childish and not even immature, but it's all these clubs thinking that they're going to win in the court of public opinion when they absolutely are not going to because they're just hurting Spanish football when the, again, English media and EPL are just swallowing them whole. And, you know, it's, it, I think it's embarrassing the way that that video came out was, yeah, an absolute embarrassment. I, I've talked about Barca and Nogueira case and all that stuff and, you know, Barca and Bartomeu. And I think Kules have been embarrassed enough, but I think I've been honest about all the ways that Kules have been embarrassed recent seasons. And yeah, that Real Madrid video was an absolute joke. Them just trying to insert themselves in a scandal that, again, legally they shouldn't be a part of, but they've interjected themselves in saying that they, they deserve damages as well. Because, because Barcelona, again, are, this is a corrupt institution. Just nonsense. All right. Uh, let me take a breath. Done with that. So, Abbas, I repeat my same exact question, which you answer with assurance that we shouldn't be worried losing the league. Are you still sure we will win it after seeing the last two performances and the fixtures ahead? So I think, Abbas, who Barca has left is looking like what, what it matters to, right? With Pedri and De Jong coming back, I've said, not, I'm not confident against Atletico Madrid, but I would say that a draw would be fair if Pedri and Frankie de Jong can have an impact. Because you have Atleti, you have Rio Midweek, you have Real Betis, Osasuna, Espanyol, Real Sociedad, Valladolid, Mallorca, and Celta. That's the remainder of your season. You've got five teams in the top half of the table and five teams in the bottom half. And only one of those, Espanyol, are against teams that I would say are at the moment in the relegation fight. That was Hidafe. But Vitaly could also still get pulled down by the time Barca meet them. But 
they've had some pretty good results. But you know, anyway, that that's not the easiest schedule down the stretch here. I would yeah, I would say that yes, but I said I do put a lot of faith in the fact that when Pedri and Demele and Christensen and De Jong have played for Barcelona, they surely have been good enough to win the Liga. Even if they limp their way to the finish line, 11 points with those four returning over the next two or three weeks is enough, I believe, of a cushion. I am not too worried just yet. I would still say that this is, you know, obviously it's Barcelona's league to lose, but I would say that they are not in danger of losing that league. But you can talk to me again after Osasuna. Because yes, if they lose four straight, Atleti, Rayo, Betis, Osasuna, their lead is completely evaporated. And Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid have likely caught them. But I also don't think that Barcelona are going to take L's, lose, or even lose plus draw without any wins from Atleti, Rayo, Betis, and Osasuna. I think there's at least a win or two in there. And again, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the magic number is five, that five victories, just just straight victories would be enough for to have them win the table. So again, even if they get two draws, a win, or three draws and a win, or two draws, a win, and a loss from the next four games, you still get a win against Espanyol. You got that one win I just mentioned, Vida lead, Mallorca, and then Celta, you even win the league on the final day of the season. So yeah, I, I would say I'm not too worried just yet, just based on the math, and then players coming back. But cheer! What should change for this team to stop completely falling apart similar to the Copa del Rey meltdown of the previous European nights? This is one of the themes we've talked about. I think I've said it with every guest. You need either players to stay healthy all season or you need better depth players. And Barcelona are going to have to worry about that in the offseason. So I'm not saying it's a question I'm not concerned with, but it's such a big picture. It is obviously the big idea. And when you talk about European nights, it's the one that I've been yelling about for six years now on this show. So yeah. So, but you're a bit too swollen in the eyes from these allergies and tired to try to do a whole thing on that. Well, well, obviously it's always something we talk about every show. All right, Daya, you have to correct me on pronunciation on that. Does Xavi really have any style of play or does he just go according to opponents? I did talk about this quite a plenty with Kevin Williams because I did agree with, uh, disagree rather, a bit with him on the earlier show this week about Xavi's ideas. He isn't just throwing players out. And the problem with his system, if you will, is that there's such a drop-off in the depth of players, kind of going back to the cheers question, that those ideals and those things that he's trying to do, again, those pressing actions are way, way, way up. But to press the way that Man City and Bayern and Barcelona do, you need elite, elite footballing IQ players, if you will. That's a stupid young person term about footballing IQ. and, And I think the ones who use that term don't understand what they're saying with it. And I think IQ is also a complete joke. That's the thing for another time. But anyway, those with a, a better way of saying it would be elite positional sense to understanding the nuances of pressing at the highest, highest, highest level. And he had, or he has 11 to 12 players, maybe 12 <laughs> that can do that. And so the phases of buildup are certainly an issue for Barcelona, the way the team constructed with those, with those substitutes, again, positional play and pressing. Those are the ideas that Xavi is trying to put forward. I also have a guest coming out on Tuesday where we're going to do a deeper dive on all these tactics and all these ideas as well. But yes, I do think he has a style of play, which is pressing. It is going forward on the wings, as, as others will say, again, with 1v1 situations. And if you don't have the right personnel for that, it's not going to work. But again, pressing high, turning the, te- the other team over, and uh, basically scoring in this possession-based, counterattacking style, which kind of sort of merge those two as much as you can uh, through positional sense. That is what Xavi's trying to get across. All right, now in the back half here, Eric, Barca Athletics seems to have outperformed expectations. What do they need to do to get promoted and how valuable would a promotion for the, be for the future development of players or would it be better for the development of the younger players to stay in their current division? Now, Eric, they are by no means promoted at this point in the season. Because remember, you have to finish first 
in that the new third division, the Pernera division, to get automatically promoted to the second. And if not, it's a four-team playoff for you, with Barca Athletic have been in in recent seasons. And of those four teams right now in those spots, they have the worst goal differential of that group, giving up the most goals of the bunch. But that is expected as well with younger players on your back line. And they also, that being Barca Athletic, have had the most injuries for them along their back line, which I think has not helped with that either. So it is interesting, though, because as I've noted in the past, trying to answer that question, is it better for them to get promoted or not or whatever? The next generation of first teamers, I think in this current generation, is coming straight from the U19s. So Alakon is already on the bench. Pedrola is technically a U19 player. Lamine Mall that I've spoken about. Uh, Kabarsi, who actually trained in the first team as well. He's just 15, also a 2007, to make you all feel old, a 2007 born. Uh, so he's also looking at getting a first team contract. Again, he's one of the, probably the most promising center back in the entire academy at the moment. But again, just turning 16 <laughs> in a few months. And again, he's the one training with the first team instead of Chadi Riyad, who does stay with Rafa Rafa Marquez, you know, and then even the rest of Barca Athletic. Victor Barbera is going, uh, going to leave the club. Already, I think it's already pretty much done and dusted at Club Bruges. And since he basically pre-signed, he hasn't renewed and was basically, you know, he's been put on the shelf since then. He's not going to help the club in the future at all. And then the other ones, though, loanees, again, who were just filling their loans. The other center forward, Roberto Fernandez, probably going back to Malaga, whatever division they're in. God knows where they're going to be. Uh, they're going to need the help as well. Then the best players for Barca Athletic are players that I don't know if you'll see in the first team ever, including Chadi Riyad and Marcasado, but also on loan, Lusmi Cruz from Sevilla and Alice Carbonell, uh, Carbonell, rather, who returned to Barca as a 25-year-old after not working out at Celta and a bunch of other stops. But they were brought in to, again, help Barcelona Athletic and those young players who were getting chances, like Alice Carrido, who has been injured this season a bit, but also made his debut for the first team. Also a U19 player who is probably the most promising midfielder out of that bunch, even more than a Chusaba, who I was high on, but it seems he's had his setbacks in time. And now he's, you know, almost 20 years old and it's time basically to move on from him too. So I am skeptical about how much the third division actually does teach these youngsters too. Like it can be a good step into professionalism for more immature kids. But as we see all over Europe, a good enough 16 year old will find chances with their club if opportunity and talent find the right timing. But whether it's the third division or the second division, top flight football prepares you for top flight football. Roche, uh, you got to give me pronunciations on that as well. Appreciated. So would it be possible to bring in Zhao Felix, which is Felix, not Felix. He corrected English media. So there we go. We're working on that. So he is not performing well at Chelsea. Well, whether it's Felix or Felix, I do not think that his wages, 10 million a year, not too terrible. It actually puts him somewhere in the middle. That puts him below Rafinha and Dembele and Ansu. But with an expiring deal, I actually think his next team is going to go up to like 13 or so per season. And I think that's too much for Barcelona. I also think system-wise, his pressing actions, when we talked about Xavi's system, if we believe Xavi that he does have a system, I don't think Felix, as good of a player as he is, actually does fit Xavi's system. So I do not think it would be a wise move for Barcelona at the number that is going to be required to bring him in. So I would I would pass on on him. And again, he wasn't performing well at Atletico Madrid, hasn't performed well at Chelsea. Maybe he needs to reconsider his level as well. And maybe, unfortunately for, for Felix, if he's looking around his Portuguese teammates, maybe he is more like a Gonzalo Guedes who had the world at his feet at PSG. And he had to step back down a few levels to kind of you know figure out who he was again. And if Felix is still young, he might need to do the same thing. All right, home stretch here. Alex, on a macro level, can you explain how Barca went from having the largest wage bill in Europe a few years ago to struggling to register players in the Liga? I had never heard of a Liga's strict wage cap until 2021. So what, what's, the, what's the issue here? 
And then he also says, that being Alex, I understand the limit is based on a combo of income and expenditures. COVID was awful for income, but stadiums have been open for a year, and the wage bill at one-fourth of its peak is apparently still not enough. Was La Liga just asleep at the wheel pre-COVID when they allowed Barca to rack up a $750 million wage bill, but now they suddenly care? Now, Alex, I, I think you did kind of answer some of that already. Stadium closures, especially for a team like Barca that rely on gate revenue as a larger portion of revenue than clubs in the EPL, who have a much larger broadcasting deal, stadium closures and the museum, especially for Barca, were really rough on their total revenue. And always a reminder, it's not just Barca. A ton of other Liga clubs are struggling with the stricter wage cap post-COVID. And the Spanish economy, and I know Brexit happened, and the EPL being so internationally broadcast and the sheer number of that broadcasting deal kind of does make them or help to make them a tad immune to what financial downturn of Brexit was for sporting institutions in the UK. And for Spain, it, unfortunately, I mean, COVID really did a number on the, the we'll say the Spanish allowance for their, their footballing, you know, their footballing institution. So while things have gotten stricter, that 750 million wage bill was based on a very reasonable projected revenue for Barca over which which in 2020 was projected to be over a billion euros. So it's basically just Bartomeu and other many and many of the Liga clubs, they were walking this tightrope. And COVID was mainly to blame for them falling off that tightrope. But 750 million was an insane number regardless of revenue. And it all came crashing down. So the argument is that La Liga was asleep at the wheel, yes. And Bartomeu and many other Liga clubs were asleep at the wheel because they were willing to take the risk of walking that that tightrope, because I think there was some hubris saying, well, we're going to be the first billion euro revenue club. So that means that our margin for victory, I mean, no one planned, obviously, for a global pandemic, but they, they, weren't, they weren't even planning that being Barcelona. They weren't planning for a downturn in fan engagement or in stadium revenue or in struggling to win trophies for maybe a few seasons. And, you know, and then they were just going to be bit at the end of it. They were just kind of flush with cash and enjoying, enjoying that ride on that tightrope. But that's what it was. It was a tightrope. And now La Liga, I mean, they basically want to continue to their clubs have stay solvent, right? They don't want to have their clubs having to sell off the kitchen sink, you know, because there are risks to selling off parts of it. And I, I think there is some greed on their part, too, with the CVC deal. They saw dollar signs with that and didn't work out in their favor. And they also have this the political fight between the Super League and Barca and Real Madrid and Tebas and all that stuff. And those things also have come into play as well, which is individual greed being played out for millions and, and billions of euros, unfortunately. I think it's really hurting Spain, as I, as I mentioned before. Tamir asks, with Xavi, were Barca good enough in the first half of the season because of sound tactics that ultimately relied on very specific profiles that couldn't be reproduced by their replacements? Or did the individual brilliance of the missing players, Pedri above all, mask a severely flawed tactical setup? It would seem an important question to answer, even if the outcome is similar meaning Barcelona were dumped unceremoniously out of every competition except La Liga because the solution would have to be diametrically different for each scenario. Now, Tamir, again, I kind of already questioned, uh, answered this one a bunch of times before, but yes, depth is certainly a problem. And I think when Xavi had the right players healthy at the right time in the year, that being Dembele and Pedri for most of the first half, they just able to rack up wins. How many game winners did Pedri have? Did, what is it, four already this season? He had four game-winning goals which for a player that doesn't really score that much and has not contributed an assist at all, it just tells you how essential Pedri is to helping this team be the elite team in the Liga and what his loss truly meant. And then, yeah, I, I'll say it, it a billion times over. The excuse is the excuse that PK being in for Rajo is a large reason why Barcelona were kicked out of the Champions League, maybe more than any other. PK in for Araujo is a different result 
against Inter Milan, most likely. And that, that's it. So it was a different scenario, but I think Xavi has the similar tactics now. It's just the player, not to say, are worse, but the, the players are different, <laughs> and, and the, you're using the poor placements and substitutes who cannot do it at a high enough level, for sure, especially in the Copa del Rey there. So a few questions left. We're, we got a final four. Tom, do Barca renew Dembele or opt to cut our losses and sell? Granted, Xavi is a big advocate for Dembele. His fitness, once again, has been a letdown this season. Is it worth the risk renewing? I renew Dembele every day of the week. I, when you went through the saga with him last year, I don't think you can do the same thing again. I think he should renew because even though his fitness, I don't actually think it was a letdown this season for Dembele. I know he got hurt in the last few weeks and they were dumped out of the Copa del Rey, but Pedri was also missing. De Young was also missing. Kristen was also missing. If maybe three of those, or if those other three players are fit and even Dembele missed the two months he missed. I know he's had this setback, but you know, for Dembele, you know, when he was healthy, he was everything that Xavi needed him to be this season. And Barcelona winning La Liga, again, largely due to his contributions in the league this season. Eddie, Reese James, rumors, thoughts, 70 million market value, contract to 2028. Eddie, that's my answer. <laughs> he plays, not only even played in the EPL, but 70 million market value and, and a contract for five more seasons. Absolutely not. Is he good enough for Barca? Probably. But if he was 25 million euros or 30 million market value, and he had a contract expiring in 2023. <laughs> then, then we talk about it, right? But yeah, it's not going to happen. So Antonio, what do you think we are missing to boost the intensity and the hunger of Barca at the tail end of this run? That's really interesting because Xavi, there are rumors that he is upping the ante on punishments and hoping that works a bit more than some of the in- other incentives he had. You know, I actually do point you to the Amazon Prime documentary because I know it's a bit of propaganda for Barca, but it did kind of give a, a bit behind the scenes about Xavi and how he communicates with the players and how he commands that locker room. And I would say he's going to, yeah, have to go back to the well and hope that on the field results change because of the players that are returning and getting good results can sometimes beget that hunger and that intensity. So for Xavi, it's imperative that you get back in the winning column. And I think that's going to help again with that hunger and intensity, seeing those other players return to the team. Final question from Parr. What do we know about the wage debts of current wage debts of current and former players? From what I understand, we still have players like PK and Griezmann on the payroll. If we're released from these in the summer, in combination with players like Busquets and Alba extending to spread salary over several years, we should get a fairly significant amount to register new players. Believes one fourth, one third, one half, or what might apply. Only God and Tebas knows what applies. Well, it's actually not just you know the Almighty and Tebas. It's actually for Barcelona whether or not they can actually agree or have these players agree to these deals. If Alba is willing to extend and spread his salary over, then yes, you're, you're going to be able to register. But if he does dig in and say, no, I've got one more deal for a lot of money for 21 million euros this year, you got to pay me that. The same way that De Young, it seems like he did kind of dig his heels in and say, I'm not leaving. That's my number. That's my contract. And, and that's what I'm earning here at Barcelona. And that's it. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to fight my way in to be one of your, your important midfielders. But, you know, you're going to need me. Because because not because of me, but because of the contracts that exist, Barcelona can't bring other players to push me and get me out. I'm still Frankie the Young. And, and he's completely, as I've said many a thousand times, get your bag. If you're a player, you're not to say I know, I know oh, they make so much and yada yada, but over the course of their life, yeah, just do it. Get get your bag. And they, if the club is willing to sign the contract, sign the contract and, and make your money. And, and then, you know, yes, you have to prove it and you're gonna get criticized when you don't. And that's why De Young is so often criticized and I think can never reach his price tag. Was a listener question on the last time, what about a month ago? So yeah, well, I don't know if he can ever truly reach his price tag. Impossible because of how high it was. He can play to being a starting midfielder for top, top team in Europe. Some, hopefully, <laughs> parsing it back there. But 
yeah, so we'll have to see. Busquets is coming off the books, and he will be renewing. PK and Griezmann will be off the payroll. So yes, Barcelona do know that they have some money coming off, but the Liga is still saying at this juncture, to Tevis's credit, he is saying this, that they cannot do anything. And he is right. They cannot do anything with Alba's number being at what it is and with De Jong's number being what it is right now. They, 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 they have no money. They're not going to be able to, to lower that wage bill much at all, even though PK and Griezmann and Busquets are coming off the books, you know, that again, that number is still going to be going down because of revenue based on the stadium. So there's a lot of moving parts and I almost have to make a spider map out of all of it to make sense. But yeah, things have to work out for Barcelona on the wage bill and players have to reduce their salaries for anything to happen or else. Yeah. They won't be able to register new players again because they have to put in their budget. They're, they're going to be losing a ton of gate revenue and and museum. Well, museum should be fine, but stadium revenue based on those projections because they have to, they're, they're waiting on that renovation on the Camp Nou next season. So that is a huge part of that. I, and I would say, think of it that way, that Barcelona are kind of stuck stinking it up because they're hoping to you know return to glory in a renovated stadium after they spend a year at, at Mons Week. Uh, and if you think of it that way, you know again, it's a little more palatable thinking about it on the back of those terrible contracts and you're still being punished for those. And that kind of all works in tandem. So again, if you enjoyed this the way I did this, it was me talking for close to 45 minutes. So God bless you if you've been here for this entire time. I need some water. I probably need a nap. Uh, and I've got to edit this as well and put it out for y'all. So, you know, again, this will wrap up another edition of the show. If you did enjoy this, you know, I think this is a bit long because I answered every question and maybe I don't do that next time. So any feedback, you know, try to keep it positive because again, I want to be able to get feedback that I can use to make the show better. So don't just tell me what was wrong about it. Give me feedback of, of what worked or what didn't with this kind of format especially for those who are still here, because that means that you know that I trust your opinion if you're still here listening to the show. So most importantly, as always, you know where to find me. You know where to find us, the whole Barcelona podcast universe. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Support the Barcelona.